Ah bonjour. Je veux acheter deux Navigo, s'il vous plaît. Deux Navigo Oui. C'est pour mettre quoi Pour moi avec. So I'm in Paris getting tickets for the metro. I'm on my way to visit the grave of my literary idol, Richard Wright. He was born in Mississippi and spent a good amount of time on the east coast of the U.S. But in 1946, he moved to Paris where he would live until his death. Richard Wright loved this city so much. I didn't know this until I got here, but the cemetery where he's buried is a pretty big deal. It's called Père Lachaise. Apparently, this is the most visited cemetery in the world. All kinds of famous people are buried here. People like Jim Morrison, Frederick Chopin, Oscar Wilde, and Edith Piaf. And it's known for some really gorgeous gravestones. I was excited to check it out, and I was traveling with a guest. So, pretty lady, can we get your name? My name is Renee. Oh, Renee, what's your relation to um, the producer of this episode? He is my fiancé. Mm-hmm. A visit to the graveyard with my fiancé. Talk about romantic. My name is Baudelaire, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, I take a walk through Père Lachaise, visit Richard Wright's grave, but on the way, I stop to meet a few other writers. More after this. All right, I can stop this for a little bit, save this battery. Um, more after this is really important because... When the ads just come in after you say that, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> What's this episode about? <laughs> when was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. So this is Père Lachaise. This place is huge. So many uniquely designed gravestones. Père Lachaise today is one of the most iconic graveyards. Three million people visit here each year to kiss Oscar Wilde's grave, or leave a pint of cheap booze at Jim Morrison's grave, or just to take a stroll and admire the scenery and the beautiful tombs. Yeah, there's so many unique designs and shapes and colors. Napoleon was the one who established the cemetery back in 1804, just after the French Revolution. France had become a secular republic, and Père Lachaise was meant to be a graveyard where people of all faiths could be buried, not just Christians. But when it first opened, Père Lachaise wasn't so popular. 
It was on the outskirts of Paris in what some thought was an undesirable area. To change this, Napoleon staged a few publicity stunts. In one case, he told everyone that two iconic French artists were buried here, a famous writer named Moliere and a comedian named Jean de La Fontaine. In actuality, it was just two random bodies. But Napoleon's trick worked. Over time, more and more people wanted to be buried in Père Lachaise until it became the iconic graveyard that it is today. Renee and I joined up with a tour that took us to the famous graves and gave us a general history of the cemetery. So in its first year, um, there were only 12 people buried here. Second year, there were 40 people buried here. After a while, though, we decided to break away from the group. All right, babe, let's, uh, let's leave and do our own little tour. Good idea, let's go. While I was researching Richard Wright's grave, I found out there are a lot of other amazing writers buried here. So I mapped a few other graves to visit. And the writers I found were like Richard Wright. They weren't French. They were expats who moved to Paris. George Rodenbach. Our first stop was the grave of a Belgian poet by the name of George Rodenbach. And it wasn't a regular grave at all. It was sort of a cement block with a figure of a man rising out of it, holding a rosebud. How would you describe this? Pretty grim. It's almost like he is coming out of the grave. This is, it makes me think of like, like he's passed, but he's, he's like risen, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like he's here, he's coming, he's still here, he's still living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like even death can't hold him. Yes, I think that's exactly what this is trying to depict. George Rodenbach was known for writing very moody and dramatic poems, so his gravestone makes a lot of sense. He was a Belgian poet, died uh, 1898, and he actually moved to Paris just like Richard Wright did. He'd be considered an expat, and he just got more love in Paris. This is one of his poems. Silence, it is the lady that trails warily, of the lady of my silence with very gentle step, shedding the white lilies of her complexion in the mirror. Barely convalescent, she watches everything in the distance. The trees, a passerby, the bridges, a stream, where wander the great clouds of daylight. But who, still too feeble, is suddenly struck with the tedium of living and a feeling of loathing. And more subtle, being ill and half exhausted, she says, the noise hurts me. Have the windows closed. We moved on to our next writer, Saideg Hadayat. His grave has sort of a, what would you compare this to? Pyramid. Yeah, it's like a pyramid shape with one long side. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. It's really nice. It's black. And there's just two roses on it with some rosebuds kind of just sprinkled around it. There's also a glass figurine of an owl in front of it. Saideg Adaya was born in Tehran, Iran in 1903. He was born into an aristocratic family and initially came to Paris to further his studies. But eventually he changed course and pursued literature. I later learned that that glass figurine of an owl was a nod to his best-known novel, The Blind Owl. Like Richard Wright, who was critical of the U.S. government's handling of both race and class issues, 
Sadegh was critical of the ruling class in Iran, and he felt alienated in his homeland because of his critiques. Some say the blind owl is an allegory of political repression in Iran. But Sadegh also had a side of him that was fascinated with death and the absurdity of human life. He was really inspired by guys like Edgar Allan Poe and Franz Kafka. In 1927, he wrote this essay called Marge, which is the Persian word for death. Here's an excerpt. Death treats all living creatures equally and determines their fates impartially. It recognizes neither the rich nor the poor, neither the lowly nor the high. In the graveyard, there is neither an oppressor nor an oppressed. Young and old rest peacefully. All wars, disputes, and killings among human beings end. In their fierceness, conflicts, and self-praise subside in the depth of cold, dark soil in the narrow pass of grave. In 1951, overwhelmed by despair, Sidegg left Iran for the last time and moved back to Paris. A few days after destroying his unpublished work, Sidegg took his own life. He left a note behind for his friends and family that read, I left and broke your heart. That is all. In 1903, a writer from just outside of Pittsburgh arrived in Paris. Her name was Gertrude Stein. Paris was her home until she died in 1946. Gertrude Stein's grave is covered in rocks. The tour guide says it's a Jewish tradition. She has a lot of rocks. Um, aside from that, it looks pretty normal. Um, her name is written on the front. The name of her partner is on the back. Yeah. Gertrude Stein hosted salons in her Paris home that were sort of a meeting place for artists of different disciplines, like her friends Picasso and Matisse. In 1933, she published a book called The Autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. It's actually Gertrude's autobiography, but written from the perspective of her life partner, Alice B. Toklas, who's buried in the same plot as Gertrude. You ready? Do I just start reading? Don't say anything else. Yeah, you can just start reading. Whenever. Okay. Renee read a quote from Gertrude. The only thing that everybody wants is to be free, not to be managed, threatened, directed, restrained, obliged, Fearful, administered. The word discipline and forbidden and investigated and imprisoned brings horror and fear into all hearts. They do not want to be afraid, not more than is necessary in the ordinary business of living, where one has to earn one's living and has to fear want and disease and death. The only thing that anyone wants now is to be free to be let alone, to live their life as they can, but not to be watched, controlled, and scared. A few months before her death, Gertrude Stein helped a young writer from the U.S. secure a visa to come to France. It is said that Gertrude told a friend, quote, I've got to help him, you see. We are both members of a minority group, end quote. Gertrude was a lesbian in a time when you really couldn't be too out, and this writer she was helping was a young black man named Richard Wright. So Richard Wright is cremated. He doesn't have a typical burial plot. Renee and I started looking through this sort of open-air mausoleum that's within Père Lachaise. There's a ton of people here. There are thousands, thousands of plaques on the wall um, with these slots behind them. 
for for the cremated people. Um, all types of names, um, not just French, English, Chinese, um, Arabic, everything. Eight. Renee and I split up, and then after 15 minutes of searching, I finally found Richard's plaque. Baby. A simple black square with just his name and years written in gold. And behind the stairs in slot 848 is Richard Wright, 1908 to 1960. There's a couple flowers tucked in the corner with him, which is really dope to see. And it's just amazing to be here. Like, I can't, I can't believe I'm just standing in front of Richard Wright's grave. You know, this guy really shaped my worldview. A lot of his stuff, you know, uh, black boy, native son. He's written some really powerful stuff. And I just felt him when I was younger. And I still, today, you know, the more I read him, I connect with it even more. first read Richard's semi-autobiographical book, Black Boy, in the 11th grade. It made me feel seen, and there's this one passage that sticks with me more than any other, and that's the passage I brought with me to read at Richard's grave. At the age of 12, I had an attitude toward life that was to endure, that was to make me seek those areas of living that would keep it alive, that was to make me skeptical of everything while seeking everything, tolerant of all, and yet critical. The spirit I had caught gave me insight into the sufferings of others, made me gravitate toward those whose feelings were like my own, made me sit for hours while others told me of their lives, made me strangely tender and cruel, violent and peaceful. It made me want to drive coldly to the heart of every question, and it opened to the core of suffering I knew I would find there. It made me love burrowing into psychology, into realistic and naturalistic fiction and art, into those whirlpools of politics that have the power to claim the whole of men's souls. It directed my loyalties to the side of men in rebellion. It made me love talk that sought answers to questions that could help nobody, that could only keep alive in me that enthralling sense of wonder and awe in the face of the drama of human feeling, which is hidden by the external drama of life. After I finished reading, Renee and I spent a quiet moment, and then I left a rose at Richard Wright's plaque and we continued our walk through Père Lachaise. It's a beautiful day. It is. Did you notice the parakeets? No. You haven't seen any flying around? No. I mean, they're flying around two at a time, like together, what I've noticed so far. Bright green parakeets. If you're in Paris, visit Père Lachaise pretty much any day between nine to five. There are official tours you could take, and they're pretty dope. But you know what I would advise? Just come here alone. Bring your phone, give yourself a few hours, and take a long walk. And maybe you'll meet some amazing people. Special thanks to my lovely fiancé, Renee, for joining me on this trip to Père Lachaise.
This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. My name is Baudelaire. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.